0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, Or, I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers, and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So, welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning.
2: <laughs> we talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning to
1: you. Hi there. Welcome to the Sunny Side Up Report. Bonjour. <laughs> Step on me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm Laura Wasser, the host of the Divorce Sucks podcast here on Podcast One.
0: I'm Johnny Raines, the uh, sidekick of the host of the Divorce Sucks
1: The Sunny Side Up Report is where Johnny and I review stories of the week that touch on relationships, next chapters, and divorces. One of my favorites this week comes from the Daily Mail UK, wherein we have a spouse who is incredibly sorry for some of the stupid things that he did. However, it doesn't seem that he has curbed his appetite for stupidity, because as his apology to his wife, Mm -hmm. Jose Torres... What do you do, Johnny? Tell me from the male perspective. Uh,
0: first of all, though it was reported in, in the UK, this joker, of course, is American and from Texas. So let's <laughs> start there. Um, this this gentleman, Mr. Torres, uh, as an apology to his spouse for cheating, had tattooed onto his chest an, an apology um, in which he admits that he's a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, a deceiver... I think a wanker slash prostitute no, lover. whore. That's whore. Whore. Okay. It's it's blurred out on my side. I always wanker lover. it was... It, wait. A w- in Texas? That's a big word that they're using in Texas. But it's, it's from you, the UK. You wanker? And a wanker is what they call a jerk-off. I, I understand. All right. And then also dishonest and disrespectful. The thing that is really tragic, though, is that many, many of these words are all misspelled.
1: If you're going to get a tattoo on your chest, Jose... <laughs> Do a little spell check, babe.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Even this tattoo artist claims that he asked twice to make sure that everything was spelled correctly. And Jose was like, yeah, go for it. Do it.
1: The tattoo artist clarified that he didn't know about the misspelling and presumably was just copying exactly what the client had written. Exactly. Hmm. Didn't you double check the spelling? So that was on the 2nd of January. I wonder if they're still uh married.
0: <coughs> One of the worst things about this story that's not even in it is is the wife i mean She's really gonna be disappointed the next time they have sex missionary style, and she sees that coming at her.
1: Let me tell you something. They're not having sex missionary style. These people.
0: Well, what about the other people, the whores that he's buying, or the prostitutes it he's buying? They're might, all gonna see that.
1: Might be a deterrent. Also, he's never gonna be. She's she's probably gonna want him to be able to hook up with somebody else at some point, and that's also a deterrent. So, I don't. This is not a win-win. This no. Is a lose-lose. I mean, I
0: guess it's doggy style for the rest of his life.
1: Oh, Johnny. In other international news, at the beginning of January of this year, Saudi women will get divorce confirmations by text messages. As you know, the triple talic, there was a decade-old driving ban on women was lifted in Saudi Arabia and some other things that really, really were, in my opinion, quite unfair – um, to women in Saudi Arabia is a way to let them know that they're getting divorced. But so starting I,
0: I mean, a, a text message that you're getting divorced, that also sounds kind of unfair.
1: Better than no message. Remember in um, Sex and the City where Berger broke up with her on a post-it note? Right. right this is like the next best thing. But again, century. better than if you don't know at all. The directive ensures that women are fully aware of their marital status and can pre- protect such rights as alimony. I got it.
0: I got Uh, it. Yeah. It's just insane, though, to think about how progressive we are, especially at It's Over Easy and what you're trying to do with changing the face of divorce in the 21st century. And that in the same time period, halfway across the world, they didn't even know they were getting divorced. And now they're going to find out via text message.
1: Yes. The law is the last thing to change. Um, In Ireland, airport-style scanners are being added to family court security systems after more than one incident took place. This is from our friends at The Independent in Ireland. And we've had this um, for a while at Los Angeles Superior Court, which is you walk through metal detectors because there have been incidents where, again, during a divorce proceeding, people can get very emotional, they get very heated. And if they happen to have brought a gun or a mallet or some kind of pepper spray to court things can happen absolutely not just to the parties but to the family law attorneys to the judicial officers et cetera. so airport style security scanning equipment has been installed at the phoenix house courts building at smithfield in dublin where family law cases are heard it became operational last friday and it's unfortunate that it's necessary yes. but again it shows a knowledge and an understanding of what goes into family law proceedings and as i always say better to stay out of courts Um, figure out a way to be the master of your own destiny and do it yourself. You can do that by going to itsovereasy.com. You can do that by educating yourself and listening to our Divorce Sex Podcast. Additionally, Across the Pond, there have been some rumblings about, you know, I know how much you always like to talk about the royals. Oh, yes,
0: yes, yes, absolutely. Clarence House's response to request for comment on Prince Charles and Camilla's divorce rumors. This comes to us from the Bristol Post in the UK. The family is remaining tight-lipped about the reports that the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall have already signed divorce papers. The article goes on to bat around back and forth whether or not these rumors are true. My guess is that they are untrue. I do not think that Prince Charles would get a second divorce. Really? Absolutely not. I don't know. He lost the crown for the first one. So I don't think he's going to do it again.
1: You know much more about this than me. But if I'm Prince Charles and I'm done with Camilla, this would be the time to do it. Right in between the royal re- wedding and the royal baby. Yeah, but and you know what they say. She's had all that
0: work done. He cheated once. He probably cheated again. I, I don't doubt that. But she's she's looking her best after having probably her third facelift. Her face is completely frozen in time. This is a good time for him to stay with Camilla, if you ask me.
1: And from that same part of the world, we have from the Oldham Evening Chronicle... An article about divorce being handled sensitively, like in the U.S., January is always a busy time for divorce in the U.K., and apparently January 7th, which is the first work day Monday after the new year, is divorce day in the U.K., and apparently the U.K. is really, really trying to get their hands around the fact that people are getting divorced, making it easier for them, and there, too, they have online divorce, people trying to do it in a way that makes sense.
0: Which I think is great. <laughs> oh
1: my God. Thank you for those words of wisdom, Johnny. My pleasure. I'm here to help. We are the Sunny Side
0: Up Report on the Divorce Sucks Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Hi, Divorce Sucks Podcast listeners. I'm Laura Wasser, and it is 2019, the new year. If you have been through a divorce and you just lost, I don't know, something like 175 pounds in your divorce, how about losing a little bit more, shedding it from your own body? That's where Beach Body on Demand comes in. Is one of your resolutions to get in shape this year, Johnny?
0: It is, absolutely. So
1: take control of your fitness journey this new year. My producer Johnny Rains and I have now begun to participate in what is called the Beach Body On Demand 2019X competition.
0: Surf's up, dudes. Oh
1: god. Body On Demand is an easy to use streamlining service that gives you instant access to a wide variety of super effective workouts you can do from the comfort of your living room 24-7. Thank goodness. Workouts are as short as 10 minutes that don't require extra equipment. So in the time it takes you to drive and park at the gym, you could be finished working out. This will work out well for Johnny because when Sleeping Beauty rolls out of bed at about 10 and realizes <laughs> that I'm supposed to be meeting him at the It's Over Easy office at 10.30, he can do a very quick workout Yes. and then he can be in the office hopefully on
0: time. And be in perfect Beach Body shape.
1: Exactly. So you can access it anywhere and anytime, Johnny. You can view it on your computer, web-enabled TV, tablet, smartphone, Roku, Apple TV, Chromecast, and more. Excellent. There's a million people that are currently doing Beachbody On Demand. Listeners of Divorce Sucks, I challenge you, and I've challenged my producer, Johnny, let's get in shape together. I want you to try this service because I would like to see who has the most willpower to stay on it. My listeners can get a free trial membership, including your new 14-day results plan where you can lose up to nine pounds in the first two weeks when you text DIVORCE to 303030. You'll get full access to this entire platform for free, all the workouts, the nutrition information, and the results plan to get you super fast results and support totally free. Again, just text DIVORCE d i v o r c e to 303030. For Body On Demand Start it with us And let's take the 2019 Body On Demand X Challenge Woohoo! Gawabunga. Today's episode of Divorce Sucks Is about your earning capacity Before and after a breakup or divorce And how to grow your wealth anytime For women, even if you are the primary breadwinner, in general, we really need to keep in mind that at some point, one may have a diminished earning capacity because of the fact that we will bear children. Of course, this is case by case. I had two kids and was actually texting somebody as they rolled me in to get my C-section. Nevertheless, I know many women who take time off for different reasons, and it can be challenging to re-enter the workforce. And once you're working, whether you've taken time off or not, how do you leverage your money or how do you invest it? To help us answer these questions, my guest today is Ms. Tracy Gray.
3: If you want to stay in the workforce and you know you're going to go back, you've got to keep your network strong. You have to be out there, even if it's once a month. We're so fortunate right now that you can go on the internet and find some women networking organization Or not just women, whatever industry you are, it exists. Now, networking is exhausting. Mm -hmm. I actually hate it. I am really good at it. But I'm an introverted extrovert. I'd rather be on my couch watching television with a glass of wine, right? But you must do it. You must do it. You must. Because people, when they're thinking who they're going to hire, they think of Jane that I know every day. I'm going to either hire her or she's, I'm going to ask her about something. Right. So you have to be in those networks. And also reach out to women of color. If you're a white woman or if you're a woman of color, reach out. make sure your network is diverse. Because if you have all white people, it's all white people.
1: She is an executive in residence at the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator, also known as LACI, and the founder and managing partner of the 22 Fund. She is also the founder of the nonprofit We Are Enough, also known as WAE, which is dedicated to increasing the flow of capital to female entrepreneurs. Tracy was recently named one of the 50 women of influence in business in Los Angeles. And before all of that, she was Senior Advisor of International Business to former Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villaragosa and Senior Advisor to the Mayor's Small Business Office. She's a fellow Cal alum where I went to undergrad and she got her MBA. Tracy, welcome to Divorce Sucks. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about you. You and I met last year at the Girl Boss Rally. Yes. It was your 55th birthday. Yes. I you. couldn't believe <laughs> that you were 55. I was about to turn 50 and we like found each other in whatever it was called the green room yeah. and like all these other women were walking around. and I just was like magnetized force to you. And we sat there and you just gave me some pearls of wisdom. I never forgot them. I said, I'm starting a podcast. I got to get you on it. And here we are almost a year later. But tell us what happened before you met me last April.
3: (laughs) Before I fell in love with you? Yes. Um, Well, you know, I started my life as an engineer. I was a systems engineer on the space shuttle program. Mm. And I was an engineer for about 10, 15 years of my life. Then I was like, oh, technology, nothing's going to happen with that. I'm going to move on (laughs) and went into that growth business, the music industry. But what happened was I was courted by a venture capitalist that I worked for in the music industry to join his firm. And it brought together the different aspects of my professional career, technology and entertainment, which is what was happening back in the late 90s Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles around venture capital. And I fell in love with that industry. That was, my eyes were just wide open. I I found that I love helping people grow things and it's creative. And then I don't have to focus on one industry. I have a bit of ADD so I could help different industries and learn. And I love love working with people with big ideas Mm -hmm. and helping them reach their goals. So then I decided I was going to start my own firm because when I was in this firm, I would get about 300 to 500 business plans a month. And I probably saw maybe one or two people of color come in, and I don't think a single woman. Wow. So I was like, okay, we're literally passing out $2 million checks to people with ideas, no revenue, and it's going to one segment. And what really drives me is justice. And because I'm, I'm an engineer, numbers, and that was just not logical. Right. That was, you know, white men are a shrinking market. And business 101 is you invest in a growing market. Yes. So I decided I was going to start my own venture fund, and it took me about 10 years to get there. Moving through the recession, working for the former mayor, and it brought me to where I am now. So even
1: going back to the engineering days, I have to imagine not a lot of women.
3: Mm. Not a lot of women or people of color.
1: And now we tell kids all the time, learn coding, learn coding, learn engineering. This is what, because I even, at It's Over Easy, as we've done our tech, have had a very difficult time finding engineers, finding women engineers, finding anybody that can actually translate for me what's going on with the engineers. There's like a huge breakdown in in communication between the language I speak and and the language they speak. And so whenever I speak to young women, I say get involved in something that has to do with engineering. That's huge. But you were kind of ahead of that curve. Did that make you very valuable and sought out among people that were looking to either hire someone or work with someone who was either a woman or a person of color or both?
3: Not back then. No. No one cared. Really? No one really cared. Matter of fact, I think, I. you know, they always say you have to be two times better as a woman. So mm-hmm. as a woman of color, you've got to be five times better. Wow. Right? Yes. And so I don't. no one ever mentioned it to me. No one ever thought about it. I don't think it was a thing back then. I probably was more dismissed than anything.
1: Wow. Okay, so now tell us what you do to help other women.
3: Well, my passion is women and money.
1: There's a lot of men that would say the same thing by yes. the way. But I
3: think <laughs> yes, there are, but the the thing with women, there is some kind of weird emotional Kind of shame around money for us. Yes, we've um, talked
1: about that on the show before. Yeah. Why don't we bring that up with our partners? Why don't we? We'll talk about sex with our girlfriends. In, yeah, we'll about talk money. about yeast infections. But we don't want to talk about money.
3: I and, and we're either ashamed to say we make a lot of money, or we have a lot of money, or we spend a lot of money. There's just some shame, and I think it's because we are considered the caretakers, and we naturally want to take care of people. And so, spending and having money seems like it's selfish.
1: Right. Did I read somewhere? Women control 75% of global consumer yes. spending.
3: Yes, So around the world.
1: How is it that we have a lesser ability to kind of get on top of that and be the people that are controlling that?
3: Exactly. And, so, and, and also 90% of our capital goes to our families and our communities. And men, it's 30%. Wow. So what the hell are they doing with the rest of their 70% of their money, right? They're either investing it or whatever. I don't want to think about whatever else, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> some of it might be going back to women in some form We substance. know that
3: is we we know. Yeah, in some <laughs> yeah, actually in some ways. Yeah. But yeah, so combination of that 75% of us controlling that money and making the When she says
1: controlling, she means as consumers yeah, what we making purchase. making decisions around whether money, it's Target or Neiman Marcus listeners or, or your work,
3: home or, or your house or your car. Think about who makes that decision or what is bought. But we do not make decisions around how to grow our money. Um, and why this is important, it's not just because we want to have money. It is an economic imperative that more women have money. If you look at the, there's, there's a list of the sustainable development goals from the UN of how to change things in the world. From climate change to education to um, violence against women. The top five could be solved through women's wealth because that 90% of our capital is going to our communities and families. So we, when we make money, we literally change the world. Are other countries doing better than us in this regard? No one in the world is doing great.
1: When it makes me feel to a little in, better.
3: When it comes to investing, just women, they just don't feel empowered around it. But we are more successful. If you're going to make money, you're going to make it through women. There was just an article in the New York Times. I don't remember the number, but it was like women wealth advisors make you one point—I want to say one point eight times more money than if you were with a man.
1: Is that because we work harder?
3: Work or harder. We're, we don't we better don't intuition. We do from the fences and say, "Oh, let me throw a bunch of crap on the wall and it'll See stick." See what sticks, right? Yeah, and we're not. We we know that we have to protect this money because it's about families, right? It's about communities, so. <laughs> and also with companies when there was a study done by first round capital i believe and they found that their women-owned funds women-owned companies their revenues were higher by 63% wow and then if you just look on the public markets when you look at if you invest with a gender lens which is a kind of analysis to do when you're doing public investing a gender lens gender i want our lens listeners okay investing, yeah investing and you'll see it as gli or and it's it, you know you look at companies led by women or women on their C-suite, women in their boards, products and services for girls and women, or women and girl fr- family friendly policies throughout their supply chain. You look at those measures, and if you if you invest with a gender lens, you'll see that the companies that are that fit this are from forty five to fifty five to sixty five percent. Higher on different measures of profitability. So the numbers are there. We just have to activate more women to do so. And what really pushed me to do this is I did a TEDx talk in 2015, and I thought I was going to talk about always being the only black woman at everything I did from engineering to venture. And then I started to see the numbers of how successful women own businesses and led businesses are, yet we are only receiving 3% of the venture capital. If you're a woman of color, it's less than 1%. And I put that together with the amount of money we control, meaning the extra consumer discretionary spending. We don't have to beg men and shame men and cajole men to do the right thing and invest in us. We can do it ourselves. And that's why I started We Are Enough.
1: So tell us how to do that. Tell us how that works, how we can do that, both on a personal level, and then bigger picture?
3: So I'm not a financial advisor, so that is why I will not make specific financial recommendations. But We Are Enough, my nonprofit, if you go to our site, weareenough.biz, in about six months we're launching a global campaign to activate women around the world to do this, to invest with a gender lens. For now, if you go to our site, you'll see different platforms. And by platforms we mean... Different destinations or products where you can invest in women-owned businesses or with a gender lens. So we say if you have $25 or $25 million, if you have a piggy bank or own a bank, we'll point you to these platforms and these products where you can make money, invest in women, and change the world. So an example, say you have $25, that's all you have. Well, go to Kiva. You can sort on Kiva for women-owned businesses. And invest in them, and you'll get, you'll make profit. From What's that. Kiva? Kiva is a crowd sourcing platform for micro loans
1: mm-hmm.
3: for around the world. And it's really to help little small micro businesses in the US and around the world. And you can give them loans, and then they pay it back, and you make a small percentage.
1: Now, it occurs to me if I am a guy and I own a company, but I got to get in on some of this. GLI the gender lens investing Mm -hmm. that I'm going to do some diversity hires I'm going to do some things to make myself look which again wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing it's not a fake yeah but does that in and of itself kind of help the cause which is good hire a couple chicks because then we're doing exactly what they want you to do and now you're getting in under the umbrella of the gender lens investing
3: yes well generally that's another way to look at it is we know all the research shows I said remember I said I'm a numbers person all the research shows when you have diversity in your employees, on your team, you're going to make more money. You're going to do better. So, yes, it it might be – some people might be pinkwashing. Right. Like, I'll put some women on there. Yeah. But But to what? what? You're going to do better. justifies the means. Yeah. So, okay. And so I'm not going to criticize that, but know that it's a good thing that you're doing this.
1: Tell us a little bit about 22 Fund, because you told me about that when I met you, and I was fascinated just about what it is. I'm a Los Angelina, as you know. Yes. I'm, I'm very interested to hear about this.
3: Um, well, what we, we are a mission-driven fund, so a social impact fund. <clears throat> we're not just trying to make money. We're trying to make high impact. And our mission is job creation in underserved communities. And we do this by investing in women and people of color-owned businesses to increase their export capacity and international sales. The reason we do this, and in Southern California, is because companies that export and sell internationally make more money, they're more successful, they pay higher wages, and they're diversified around the world so that when there's economic turmoil in one market, you're in a different market. Right. So you can pivot and... Concentrate on a different market.
1: Having all your eggs <clears throat> not in the same basket. Exactly. So to we speak.
3: all know another lesson in finance. In finance is diversify. Right. right. You don't want to be in all real estate. You don't want to be in all stocks. You don't want to be in all international. Right. So
1: and tell our listeners what the twenty two
3: stands for. It's a little bit of a funny story. So there were forty four women and men of color who founded Los Angeles, and they were called Pabladores. That's my bad Spanish. We were originally called the 44, but we found out the number four means death in China. okay. So we cut it in half when I found out there were 22 adults. Okay. So it stands for the 22 adults that founded Los Angeles. Of color. Of color. Women and men of color.
1: That founded Los Angeles. I love that.
3: I do too. (laughs) So
1: I know you're not a financial advisor, and I got like the Kiva for somebody that only has 25. What if you've got somewhere between $25 and $25 million? What if many of our listeners are about to receive half of their family estate? So now you're getting a nice little nest egg. You've got enough so that you can hopefully live off of the investment income if Mm -hmm. you invest it wisely. You've got some money. Your spouse probably in the past was the one that was investing it for you or some of his people. What can women do that have now become the masters of their own destiny in terms of their finances to figure out good ways to begin investing their money in a way that will benefit them and that will also lead to the kind of things that I I think our listeners are probably all feeling warm and tingly when they're hearing you talking about women, when they're talking here about diversity, when they're hearing you talk about international and best ways of doing things. Where can they go to get the kind of information and education that they need to invest?
3: Well, first, no, you don't have to do it by yourself or alone. Go get get a financial planner, get a wealth manager, <clears throat> and get a woman. I mean, this New York Times article just said if you have a woman wealth advisor, you're going to make more money. You two guys, by the way, this show is not yeah, just for women. Just if, for you, women. If, you're, if you're a guy, go get a woman. If you care about If they're your- making you more money, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, that's what I don't understand. It's like, it's not, I, the reason I switched to women is because the men weren't doing it, but they should be, right? So make sure you get a financial planner that you feel comfortable with. I, constant, you're gonna be telling them your per, more personal information than anyone, right? They're gonna know well, you. Well, except very your divorce
1: well. lawyer. Yeah, yeah. For, we yeah. know it everything.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and you need to have someone that you feel comfortable with because they work for you. I find a lot of women when I'm telling them, you know, t- ask your ask your manager to put a certain percentage of your money in gender lens investing. And if they say no, fire them because right. they work for you. Right. I get a lot of women who are like, "But I'm afraid." I'm like, "They're friggin' making right. money. You're off the customer. Of you. The customer yeah. is always you, right. Yeah. Tell them to do it." So, so get a get a, a female, hopefully, advisor that will work with you and do what you want and educate you, not just tell you what to do, but educate you. Then there are ways that you can move your 401k, if you have that, into Um, gender lens investing, Um, you can also, there are different indexes on the public market. There's one called SHE, which is a, you know, they have a bucket of stocks, that are all around gender lens investing. I didn't even know that. and By
1: the way, speaking of the index, on It's Over Easy, our index has financial advisors, women and men, because there are so many people after their divorce end up going, I gotta figure out what to do with this money. I'm now in charge of it, what do I do with it? One of the resources that we have on the index is people who can help you figure out how to invest your money. So
3: check it out. Yes, Go back. I'm sure they're really good ones. yeah, and, and there's Pax Elevate has a product. There's a bunch of products from um, m- mutual funds to ETFs, which are exchange traded funds, different ways you can invest your money no matter what minimum you have. There is a NIA Global Capital that you have $100,000, I think, the minimum, only with a gender lens and social impact. So. You know, women are more likely to want to do good with their money at the same time they want to make money. And that's what you get when you invest with women and in some of these funds. Um, and there is the Elevest. That is a site that is made for the way women want to invest. And it's not just investing with a gender lens, but it shows you ways you can invest. But it's targeting women and the way we want to manage our money. Um, so there's all different ways. And I... I tend to want women to educate themselves, too. I don't want to ever just tell them, do this, this, and this. There is power in knowledge, and that is part of what we at We Are Enough want to do is not only tell them you can do this, but also give them the power to do it. Do you think it's changing? Do you think our young
1: women are taking a bigger hand over mathematics, engineering, financing? Are they less inclined to do as we have done and kind of abdicate some of our financial interests. Are you noticing this trend?
3: Uh, yes, I definitely am. I feel like the millennials are going to save us <laughs> a certain way. Um, they demand in their spending, in their investing, an impact, a social impact. They do not separate it in the way we did. Like, you know, we'll give our money over here and then we'll invest our money over here and they, sometimes they were in actually hurting each other, right. right? They don't separate it. And we're going through the largest transfer of wealth we've ever seen from generation and from gender. As men are dying off faster than we are, there's transfer of wealth to women and then from to the millennials. And both those segments are interested in doing good with theirs capital. So I have a lot of hope for the future. Me too.
1: Alexa isn't the only one with
4: breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. Jessica Graf here from Big Brother 19 and winner of The Amazing Race Season 30. But more importantly, I'm a new wife and I have a baby on the way. I will be sharing this journey with all of you on my new podcast called Now What? Each week, I'll be getting personal, answering your questions and asking some of my own. So don't forget to subscribe to my new podcast with the direct message and Podcast One called Now What? Available on Podcast One or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: i Wasser and you're listening to the Divorce Sex Podcast. In addition to practicing family law for more than two decades, I am also an entrepreneur and the founder of a startup called It's Over Easy. We enable people to navigate their own divorces online. As the founder of a new company, I know a thing or two about raising financing and looking at my business not only with a gender lens, but also with equal opportunity forefront on my mind. I've also been fortunate enough to have good friends to bounce ideas off of, like my guest today, Tracy Gray, who has over 20 years experience assisting organizations in a variety of industries to reach their investment and marketing goals. But who can you turn to if you don't have someone you can speak to about financial matters or if you're reentering the workforce after a divorce or after having children? Who can you turn to for guidance in regaining an income? I was in New York last month speaking on a panel about this very subject hosted by Luminary, which is New York City's premier collaboration hub for women and women identified who are passionate about professional development and expanding their networks. After the panel, I sat down with Gina Hadley and Jenny Galuso, the co founders of The Second Shift in New York. We talked about women getting back into the workforce and what they do resonates with our conversation with Tracy today.
2: So, the elevator pitch for The Second Shift, because now we have it down pat, is um, The Second Shift is a marketplace and it connects a highly curated, vetted membership of professional women with our employer partners that understand the value in their expertise. Our members work on projects that are quick and deployable remote and boots on the ground in office jobs where they're actually leading teams. Jenny and I had the idea that there were too many women that were trying to figure out a way to work during this quote-unquote messy middle portion of their lives. So we wanted to make it easy. So we created an opportunity for women to keep working. And does Second Shift only work with women? We do, and there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. Both Jenny and I feel like we understand this demographic very well because we are both professional women. But also in the way that we look at life, we're very pragmatic. And when we can solve the problems that professional women face, whether it's pay inequity, or gender inequity in the boardroom, I will move on to another problem. But once I stop looking at that McKinsey pipeline that makes me want to vomit, and it's all 50-50 the whole way through, as we say, we don't find jobs for men, but we also don't find jobs for astronauts. So,
4: (laughs) And the the goal, the the explicit mission of the second shift is to attract and retain critical female talents. There's something like... 6% 6% of CEOs in the U.S. are women. So if we don't keep women going and we don't allow them opportunities to get into executive leadership roles, then that will never change. Right. And the hope is that it then trickles down to all sorts of opportunities for all women to grow and to have that career path that cracks the glass ceiling. I love that. Talk
1: about disrupting
4: an industry. Do you guys help
1: negotiate the contracts with the with the people that you place?
2: We are pretty confident that our members know better right. what they're worth. Okay. Because we work in such with such diverse talent. It is broadly marketing and finance, but I don't specifically know what a media buyer for a company like Starcom, what it is that she does every day. She knows, pardon me, better than anybody what she's worth. Okay, so that it's, means, it's placement more than anything else. It's it finding is a place that they connect. And this is part of the reason that we feel like we're doing something that will enable more women more access to opportunities. Is by creating a marketplace, we've taken out that the need for you to know exactly who you want to come and fill a job. Because it used to be. Mary's going out on maternity leave. We need somebody to come in. I'm going to call Laura. I remember, she came in last time. But if you're not in that network, you're not getting that right. project. So what we've done is we've created a marketplace. We are there for be- we are there every step of the way if you need help <coughs> negotiating a contract, if you want to know best practices. Um, but what we've also realized is that if we want this to move quickly, we have to remove the latency, and a lot of the times the things that – are a sticking point are the fact that someone gets involved who doesn't know exactly what's going
1: on. We're back with Tracy Gray <laughs> after hearing the tape of Jenny and Gina and the second shift, and knowing what I know about both the Twenty Two Fund, which has a job creation mission, and with We Are Enough, which is a company that helps to globally achieve economic independence through investing in entrepreneurship. How does Second Shift dovetail with the kind of things that you do? Does, have you heard of these kind of companies? Are you interested in the ideas that these guys have? Again, there may be a bridge between mm-hmm. what they're doing and finding jobs for women, getting back into the workforce, and what you're doing. But how do all of these things kind of converge to ultimately achieve the goals that you and I have been talking about today?
3: The one word that one of them mentioned was network. And women and people of color are left out of that network and ecosystem of Silicon Valley, Silicon Beach, Wall Street, name any industry. Why? Because we're busy doing things that actually change the world instead of networking and building our wealth in that way, right? I think. I'm not sure. But I also think white men don't want us in that. They don't feel comfortable when we're part in the room that they feel like they have to do something differently. Right. So these networks that are being created are more women-friendly networks. It doesn't mean men are being left out. They're just more women-friendly. They're, they're not that competitive space. It's um, collaborative space that is being created. So from looking for jobs, these networks where women are sharing and um, sharing these potential um, opportunities and different types of financial services that are being created for women, it's a different way of, create a network that we've long term been left out of.
1: And I mean, I have heard and I have at times seen in life that sometimes women can be more difficult to deal with as mentors or employers than men. We can be very, we want to be the one girl in the room and all the guys love us. And so sometimes we aren't as helpful. Do you see that changing? Because I've seen that change definitely in the past decade or so.
3: And I never quite even saw it. I mean, you could always point out one person in any ethnic or demographic. Right. That and that doesn't have couple. to do with their gender or their no, ethnicity. They're just no. an asshole. Yeah, right? just exactly. And so I find people bring that up. I'm like, do you say that about every asshole man that does this thing? I've never heard anyone say, but what about the so hard to work for men? Sometimes it's really, really hard to work for them. So I don't see a change because I don't believe it was a problem in the first place. I think it is a diversion. From the topic of having more women on decision-making power and and running companies And I think I don't really fall for that
1: so. Another diversion me Too movement Is yeah. it true that it is going to separate the genders and make it more difficult for women to get jobs because men will be so nervous having to interact with us?
3: Look if you do the right thing, you're not gonna be nervous if you're an asshole Something's going to happen. Right. And note to men, don't pull your dick out during the meeting and there's not going to be an issue. I don't know what the problem is. (laughs) (laughs) If you you do the right thing, it's fine. And I don't, this whole backlash is another, like you said, another (laughs) diversion from the topic of empowering women. I don't know why man, men feel threatened at the idea of women being more empowered.
1: You don't? I, How about I don't, the 1.8% yeah. that they're making more in the, as the financial advisors? Well,
3: yeah, well, I mean, That's why right, they feel threatened. They could make more money, too, if they invested with women. And I also I think the Me Too and Time's Up movements are super important. But their responses, their reactions to men behaving badly, what we're talking about is a proactive way for women to take control of their wallets and their purses by investing in other women and making money. So I think we have to think about, along with having these con- conversations around Me Too and Time's Up, we've got to think about how we empower women, where we don't feel like that we have to be victims and be afraid all the time. So that's why I pretty much everything I do is that's why I do it. Because I've never felt Victimized.
1: Right. Chelsea Handler said the same thing. Me I just, too.
3: I, I just have never felt Not it. Not me too. Hashtag I, me, too. Just yeah, me too. But I understand <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> I understand it definitely. But I don't know if because I'm the youngest child, I've always felt pretty empowered mm-hmm. and confident. And I just want everybody else to feel that way and I want it to be fair. Yeah. I mean, what what is wrong with fairness?
1: There's nothing wrong yeah. with fairness, although in my profession we say don't say the word fair. <laughs> There's nothing that's oh. going to be fair about this process. <laughs> justice. But I de- but justice absolutely. Justice. Following the law absolutely. Yeah. Doing the right thing absolutely. Today, January 15th as we record this is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. The episode will drop on Monday, January 21st, which is Martin Luther King Day which basically just means for me, my kids don't go to school. But <laughs> if your kids go to LAUSD, they may not be going to school anyway. Exactly. Um, let's talk a little bit about you personally. We're going to get to the interrogatories in a minute, but mm. you have been married before, correct? Yes. yes. And your husband was a white Jewish guy, correct? Yes. And if you
3: don't know, I'm African American. Oh, yeah. If if it didn't come (laughs) up yet in the conversation,
1: Tracy is African American. And that is part of what drives some of the things that she does that have to do with the diversity, not only... And she's a woman, just in case that didn't come up. Okay.
3: So anyway... My voice sounds a little different, but... (laughs) What year did you marry? Okay. Honestly, I think it was... I can't remember if it was 91 or 92. (laughs) It's one of those years. And how long were you married? We were married 10 years, but we were together 15.
1: Okay. And was it weird for you to be dating a white guy? No. And was it weird when you brought the white guy home to your family? No. Was it weird to be dating a guy that... I'm assuming you're not Jewish by birth. Was it weird to be dating a guy that was Jewish?
3: No, I actually... I didn't know anyone Jewish where I grew up. I grew up in Santa Barbara County, Lompoc, near Air Force Base. And... By the way, near Air Force bases, not a lot
1: of Jews. Near boats, not a lot of Jews. (laughs) Just putting it out there, guys. Santa Barbara, a lot of Jews.
3: Lompoc near the Air Force base,
1: (laughs) not so many Jews. Yeah,
3: No, and I didn't even know, but I read a book... I can't be, the one, or I can't remember what the name of it, and like kind of fell in love with Judaism.
1: Really, not knowing I did the spiritual, the mystical, the Kabbalah oh, yeah, of it all, all of the it. cultural, all of it. Okay, so now you meet this guy. You're like, oh, you're Jewish. I just read this book. This is so amazing. He was like,
3: huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was in high school. I okay. read the book. Um, it became a, it became a movie. I wish I could remember when Robbie Benson was in it. Oh, my God.
1: You are dating yourself, I lady. I well, I'm
3: 55.
1: Robbie um, Benson. What
3: was the, anyway, it was a, it was a book. Anyway, right. So I have, an all, like, a lot of my friends are Jewish. A lot of my female friends are Jewish. I have and, a lot of black
1: friends, too. I just... Because so cool. <laughs>
3: back to Martin Luther King did. You know, the Jews were on the battlefield of civil rights movement with African Americans. Yes. We've always had this connection. So, you know, my, my ex-husband told me the story when, his, when he told his mother... You know, he's fallen in love. He's met this girl and I'm going to bring her here to meet you. And and I have something to tell you. And they're like, what? And he goes, she's black. And and his mother said, but is she Jewish? (laughs) (laughs) So she didn't. Everybody has their thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I will date the rainbow. I don't really care about. I'm just interested in people yeah my I'm dad my, in
1: my dad once said to me when i started college he said not that i wasn't dating before this but i went to beverly hills high school so there weren't that many other people to date there besides white jewish guys <laughs> but my dad said to me bring home whoever you want bring home an african-american bring home a chinese guy bring home a hispanic guy bring home a girl don't bring home a Republican.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what <laughs> would happen in my family too, and in my ex-husband's family.
1: So it's good you guys found each other, and I and I'm assuming that the race and the religion were not the reason for the breakup. No, that was not an issue for no. you guys.
3: He is a very mature person. Like 16, he was probably the same man he is now. And you're still I'm waiting to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I'm like, oh, squirrel. You know, I. I get distracted. I I was very young. We I mean, m- emotionally young, and I just kind of changed. And, and now, were you life. a working
1: person when you guys got together?
3: We met in college, broke up, and then got back together. Yeah, so I think I was working by then. So
1: it wasn't like you had to get back into the workforce or anything.
3: No, but you know, I've changed my. Um, profession right. several times right
1: so I kind of had to start at the entry level she's like each the Madonna time. of engineering investors <laughs> she just keeps recreating herself I love it
3: boredom um, and so I had to, since I had to recreate myself it was like re-entering each right. time yeah um, and I would just do my home do a lot of my homework and network luckily I worked in careers that were a lot of men so I really learned from men right I, you know, I, I am trying to unlearn from men and be quite frankly and try to be more woman-like in the way I approach work and network.
1: Tell us what that means. As a mentor to a young woman, what would you say uh, to make her or them less man-like in the way they approach things and more woman-like? I, I know I've been asked this, so I don't mean to put you on the spot, you know, but I have a feeling I know some of the things you're going to say.
3: I, you know, less competitive. Um I'm you know, I was a gymnast, so I'm super competitive anyway. I love to win. But I remember when I was in business school we took my negotiation class, the goal is for a win-win, not for no one has to lose. right. you know does how does it change your um ending if someone loses right. other than your vengeance, right? <clears throat> right? So being less competitive, listening more, mm. you know, not walking in thinking I know everything. And I'm also a Buddhist, so I'm trying to be much more compassionate, which I think women tend to be more compassionate. Sometimes I'm like, you know, when people are emotional at work, I used to be like, it's work. Why right. are you crying? No I mean, crying at work. No, no crying in baseball. But, you know, right. work is, takes up most of your life, right? So it can be emotional and it can be, and if you really have a passion and you want to see a certain change, it can be emotional and it's okay. Emotions are okay. But so I'm learning, to be more compassionate, um, and to ask for help. And I think a lot of women don't want to ask for help because we, we have to do it all and also ask questions. I'm None not afraid of- to look stupid at all because that's how I know everything. Cause I ask questions. Right. I, I find that women do not are afraid to ask questions cause they don't want to look.
1: Dumb. They don't want to look down. Yeah. Got it. So although you never left the workforce, you did have to get into new ones each time when you did your Madonna recreation. (laughs) So one of the things that we're going to hear about in this next clip from Jenny and Gina is like never take your foot completely out of the door. This is for some of our listeners who are either going to go recreate themselves, start again, or who have taken some time off to have kids, get married, moved for a spouse, and now are trying to figure out how to get back in.
2: I am constantly amazed by some of what I would classify as super conservative businesses who just want talent. Right. Private equity, venture capital, like- Big banks, they've gotten to the point where we just need more people. Right. We will figure out a way to make this work. Not only do we need more people, but the the Chewy Center is their women. Right. So we're getting the bonus of getting super professional people to come in and help us manage the ever-growing workload on a shrinking full-time employment and they're senior women. So we'll figure out how to do this. It's like a win-win for everybody. No, it, to-
1: it is such a win-win. And I, I always wear two hats, and which is good because I'm a Gemini and somewhat schizophrenic. But I not only am I a service provider, so I work for my clients, but I'm also a business owner, both the firm and it's over easy. And so it's always interesting to look through the eyes of a, of a company, of a corporate owner, figuring out what it is we need, what we want, how HR and legal can kind of tie our hands when you're like, I just want this done. I find that there's so many, particularly women, that have gone through this kind of change and they so badly want to figure out what their next step is. Their kids are getting older, they want to earn... We were talking today in the panel about... Even if you're not earning much, even if childcare is eating most of what your earnings are, there may be some left over and there's huge room for growth. With what's left over, you buy something nice for yourself. You buy yourself a pair of shoes, you buy yourself a bag, you buy something that really makes you feel good, a massage, hair color, highlights, whatever. And then as you grow and as your kids grow and you're able to get back into the workforce, you can do more of these jobs, but you're keeping
4: your foot in the door. I love that. Well it's just, just keep swimming. swimming.
2: Yes. Right? We get yes. a lot of Nemo in mm-hmm. our we're world. treading water. We say it's like treading um, water. You
4: don't have to be, you know, go moving and killing it in Michael Phelpsing it. Just right. keep swimming. Right. Keep going because, you know, leaving the workforce and leaving for an extended period of time is really, it is career suicide. You can come back to life. But you are taking a leap that is really hard. And we don't really do return trips. We're not for people who have taken an extended period of time and then come back. We have a lot of people sort of similar to your index where we have, like, the companies that specialize in that. Right. And we'll send people there. We can give you best practices. We can give you, you know, ideas of, you know, how to go about doing that. You know, my biggest tip is, like, go out and do something for free. Right. somebody who wants to hire you. No one has to know it was for free, and boom, you've got fresh stuff on your right. resume. you got
1: fresh stuff on your resume, you're meeting new people, you're networking, and most importantly, you are feeling a sense of self, getting out there, creating, doing something so important.
2: Well, this is also, I think, on the panel you and Jenny discussed, the idea of being worthy. Yes. And I think that there is, unfortunately, an ease of stepping out for a lot of women because it's hard. I understand that, especially if you live someplace that's not New York or LA, and the hustle is not something that the women around you are doing. You're either working or you're not working. But my, my, my—I really believe that there is value in having something for yourself, and it doesn't. I, I don't think you can you can substitute your tennis team. Or For the, your kids. Your, your kids, kids, kids love you.
1: They love having you in the classroom. They love that you make the cookies when they get home from school. But no kid is going to appreciate his or her parent as much as a co-worker really is going to see the value. And also, there's not the same give back. I really feel as a working parent, you can you can do both. You can.
4: You can. And that's you just can't do all of it every day. You know, to the you know, you're not going to make the cookies every the day. Classroom. Your that's kids your should not
1: be eating cookies every day, guys. But you do it
4: once in a while. You go to the library one time, you go to the Hanukkah party the next time, you go to work, you know, you can do all of it, you just can't do all of it at the same time. And I've had the benefit of being a working parent with a partner whose kids are a little bit older. So I've had the, you know, Gina's kids who are, you know, a few years older than mine, and I can see, like, down the pipeline because you get very myopic when your kids are little, especially, and you think it's they're never going to get older, (laughs) they're going to need me forever, it's always going to be like this, and then I've seen Gina's kids grow up, and it's like, oh, no, they'll get them. They're at school. They don't even come home till 8 o'clock right. at night. My and life, then when they do, they go straight in their room, and you're like, oh, hi. <laughs> and my life is going to be completely different in three years, and so do I want to make decisions now that are going to have lasting impacts for the rest of my life? And then I'm going to have to pay that piper in five years, and, you know, for what? Right. Absolutely. And so, again, as we
1: said, both Gina and Jenny are working moms. They started this startup. So many people say to me often, like, how, how how can you have it all? You can have it all. These women have given you an opportunity to have it all. You can't have it all, 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 the, time. all the time, but you can have it all. You can keep your – you can just keep swimming. You can tread water. You can keep your – Foot in the door of a career, you can continue to be a mom and a spouse. But this is really, really an amazing opportunity to do something that, again, in my in my work lifetime, we were really not this didn't exist. And so, Second Shift is so cool for people that are having kids, getting married, moving somewhere with their spouse where they're not. That's not where their you know workflow network is. This is a great opportunity to be able to do it remotely. You could use an analogy like people that want to work but just can't get on. The i planning to fly to Korea yeah. tomorrow. So Tracy, you heard our tape. Tell us some of the ways that you have encountered here in LA of women being able to stay involved. I know for me, I talk a lot about like whether you have a nanny, whether you have family that can help. It does take a village if you've got kids, but pull that village around you because you're going to need it. You got maybe like a 10 year window where you have kids that really, really need you every day after school or whatever, if that How do you see women being able to get back into the workforce or, as the the women from Second Shift said, kind of keep their foot in the door?
3: Well, I think women need to, and this comes again from my Buddhist perspective, Mm -hmm. that the first person who should be happy is you. And that's really hard for women, right, to say my happiness is number one. But it should be number one so that – remember when you're miserable – Everybody's miserable. You can't make anyone
1: else. Think of the thing they tell you on the plane about the oxygen mask. Put your mask on before you help anybody else.
3: So take the time to know if if you want to stay in the workforce and you know you're going to go back, you've got to keep your network strong. You have to be out there. Even if it's once a month, you go, right, we're so fortunate right now that you can go on the internet and find some women, you know, networking organization, or not just women, whatever industry you are, it exists. Now, networking is exhausting. You know, mm-hmm. I actually hate it. I am really good at it, but I'm an introverted extrovert. I'd rather be on my couch watching television with a glass of wine, right? So, um, but you must do it. You must do it. You must, because people, when they're thinking who they're going to hire, they think of Jane that I know every day. I'm going to either hire her or she's, I'm going to ask her about something. Right. So you have to be in those networks. And also reach out to women of color. If you're a white woman or if you're a woman of color, reach out. make sure your network is diverse. Because if you have all white people, it's all white people. And it's, it's all
1: white good, people. Whether it's, it's
3: all white women or right. what. It's
1: not a good look, first no. of all. But second of all, a diversity hire, a, a group of people, we see this very much on our team, but it's over easy. I've been super lucky. It gives you so much more... Perspective perspective yeah. about the other groups of people and so you're looking at Jane who's Jane gonna know or introduce me to well Jane's gonna introduce me to somebody completely different from Juanita mm-hmm. from Loquisha sorry to just be so like stereotypical <laughs> like, with the names. from Jack yeah. I mean so get the, get your different groups out there you know you're picturing it you guys get your different groups out there and figure out because that's gonna help your company. And, um, and their perspectives, because trying, they're going to yeah. want a different kind of flavor. They're gonna, You need to pick the brains of the people that you have around you. And to do that, open your eyes. Because the people around you, if you're in your bubble, you are leaving money on the table, you business are. owners. Exactly.
3: I was trying to think of a stereotypical Jewish name, but
1: I couldn't. Oh, come Damn on. It.
3: I just couldn't right Rebecca now. and Moisha. <laughs> <Like. laughs>
1: so Tracy, tell us, boil it down for us, because we like small bites on the show. Because um, we're a sucking show. Um, tell us what, if you were going to mentor a young woman, tell us five points that you would really stress on how to do it better as a female. Okay.
3: So I would say this is for women and men because we're moving into a time of the feminine time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean women only. Cool. So men need to kind of think about this too. So and it's what I learned and I learned from the mistakes I made, right? Be less competitive. Listen more. Listen more. Be more compassionate for the other and for yourself, especially. Be a Buddhist. Be a Buddhist. (laughs) Don't be afraid to ask for help. And don't be afraid to ask questions. I mean, that's how you learn. That's how you get knowledge.
1: I once had a professor in law school and anytime somebody would say, can I ask a stupid question? He would say, there are no stupid questions. Exactly. So now I can't hear the phrase stupid question without <laughs> hearing there are no stupid questions. There are no stupid questions. There and aren't. anybody that sits back and looks at you like you're stupid for asking a question, I assure you that person did not know the answer to the question.
3: And they wanted to ask And they, ask they wanted to ask it too. Right. And they were afraid.
1: Yes. All right. So on every show, we do the divorce sucks interrogatories, Tracy. Yes. So I know that you are divorced right now. Are you dating or single?
3: No, but my um, psychic told me I'm getting married this year.
1: Oh my goodness! Wow, a prenup. I, and,
3: I, and I said, who? said, <laughs> <laughs> who?
1: Well, <laughs> prenup, you, yeah. well, We'll see. 2019. Yeah, great. What's your favorite breakup
3: song? You know, pretty much anything from the first two Coldplay albums.
4: I mean, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so no, good. it's not sad that that's your choice, but all of those songs, I miss you, yeah. yellow. Come I on, know. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> what would you say to cheer up a friend going through a breakup? I would hand them a bottle of wine. I was going to say, have them come sit next to <laughs> yeah. on the couch with a bottle of wine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> no words need be exchanged. Yes. What romantic comedy could you watch on repeat?
3: Okay, so I am not really a romantic comedy person. That does not surprise (laughs) me. So, uh, what is she watching on that couch with the wine? What what I watch. I'm gonna name a few of them. I watch over and over again. First, The Devil Wears Prada. Uh huh. Can watch that every day. Uh huh. Any born. By the way, if you ever go to Dry Bar,
1: it's on. So you
2: just will see
3: it. (laughs) I
2: don't. I have dreadlocks.
3: I don't need. any born, I didn't, you know, born Oh, right, identity, right. Those. That's not a rom com. I know. I'm okay, telling just you, don't, just your favorite movies. I okay. don't watch them. Okay. Every Harry Potter movie Okay, and every Lord of the Rings. And every Star Wars.
1: Oh my God! Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Too? No. Okay. Good. No. Just checking. It's a
3: whole different thing. Okay. I'm a blurred, which is a black nerd, and okay. we have a certain area that we like to you, play in.
1: Do you do Game of Thrones?
3: Yes. Oh, but okay. I can't watch that over and over
1: it, no, no, because it scares it's, me. Oh yes, it's okay. scary. It hurts.
3: All that stuff. So, okay. <laughs> too much blood.
1: Yes. I've never seen one. I gotta. Okay.
2: Tracy.
3: Sorry. That's I don't okay.
1: Blurred. I haven't heard that before. Happy Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. <laughs> Blurreds out there. Um, thank you for joining us today, Tracy. You, you are truly, truly one of my favorites. Tell our listeners how they can reach you and how they can find out more about the 22 Fund and We Are Enough.
3: The best way is to go to info at weareenough.biz. Biz. Uh-huh. We have a sign up there. Join us. The 22 Fund is the22fund.com. Cool. And
1: to learn more about our guests that were on The Second Shift recordings and how to supercharge your work, their website is second spelled out, shift.com, thesecondshift.com. I'm Laura Wasser, the family law attorney, and this is Divorce Sucks. In regard to divorce and money, which is relevant to what we've been talking about this hour, there are two categories of cost. One is the upfront cost of the proceedings, fees, and court cost. The other cost category is what you will have to pay or live on as a result of the divorce. You can save money and reduce the acrimony on It's Over Easy. And if you want other tips that can help you divorce without destroying your family or bankrupting yourself, ask me anything at It's Over Easy on social media. We'll answer your question right here on the next Divorce Sucks podcast. Thanks for listening.